Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. How y'all doing today? Everybody happy, ready to do this, yeah? Hey, if you got a Bible or Bible app, John 21, let's just go there. John 21, I'll start in verse four here in just a second. Uh, Bible, Bible app, iPads, whatever y'all do, that's fine. I'm gonna read uh, a little chunk of scripture here and just kind of dance through it together and it'll be fun. Uh, and so, yeah, a couple of things, just so you know about me. Uh, number one, I'm happy to be here. Uh, had a chance to go to beach camp. How many of y'all were at beach camp with us? Had a few of y'all there. All the, <laughs> woohoo! Uh, it was fun. If you didn't go, uh, great time. And it's gonna be even better this year, I promise. Uh, I know they're having some signups today and excited about what God's going to do there, but got to know the students and got to know the adults while we were there. There's some great adult leaders uh, at this church. And so Sean told me he even liked a few of you that were going to be here in this service. So it's super excited to be here. Uh, listen, l- let me just say it a couple ways. I tell people I'm from Birmingham. He said it, Roll Tide, whatever, Georgia fans. Listen, we gave you our f- defensive coordinator. Just be happy. Um, y- you know, <laughs> you can, you can win now. Thank you. Um, in the end, I, I tell people two things. I, I talk fast, not a nervous habit. My life has been changed by Jesus. I get super excited about what I do. So if I talk fast, you listen fast, we'll get out of here quicker. You'll, you'll be good. Extra latte, you'll be fine. Um, number two, I don't wear shoes when I preach. Not that big of a deal. Don't email Sean. I've got socks on. I'm not a complete Alabama redneck, okay? I mean, just saying, the whole standing on holy ground thing, God got my attention with that really before I met Sean 15, 20 years ago. And so uh, when I stand up to preach, uh, it's just a reminder of that. So if, if it bothers you, I don't have shoes on. <laughs> I don't care at all. Um, <laughs> Because if it's a biblical thing, come on, let's just be honest. So it's, it, listen, we're, we're going to have fun in this. And my hope is, to be honest with you, I'll just tell you right now, I want to see life change. I mean, I, I, don't, I tell people I travel 200 days a year, and uh, I don't travel for the hope that you just like me or laugh at a joke. I, I hope I say something funny just to make you happy today. I hope you like me in the end. But listen, I, I leave my family 200 days a year because I believe that God can change lives forever. And so that's the hope this morning. And so let's just see how that happens. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in the next few minutes, would you allow your word to come to life? Your word changes us, not a funny story that I have. So I pray that in the midst of illustrating things and just just having fun talking about your word and the lamp and the light that it is to our lives, Lord, would you save people this morning in this service? Would you bring people back to yourself in this service so we follow you because you're the only one worth following today? It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, we all say amen. Uh, Here's the deal. The adults will get this, the parents will get this, students, you don't get it at all. I was smart, or at least I thought I was smart until I had children. Does that make sense to you? Like seriously, I I had it together until I had children. And I think that I had a good grasp on life. And then here's what happened. My children got a little bit older and Eden, my oldest daughter, turned five. And here's when I found out that I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. She started asking me questions that I knew the answers to, but I could not explain them for the life of me. I mean, little things like, you know, my wife and I in a car and we're driving little Edens in the back seat. And I'd say, let's pray for Susie. She's very vulnerable right now. And from the back seat, hey, what's vulnerable mean? I go, vulnerable means you're down. What does down mean? Down means you're not feeling good. What's not feeling good mean? You know what? I don't know what vulnerable means. (laughs) And it continued on. I mean, she was fighting with her little sister one time. And and I was like, she's four years older than her. I said, listen, please, you're the older sister. Learn to fight fair. She goes, what's fair? I got this one. Fair means you're 50-50. What's 50-50? 50-50 means you're even. She goes, what's even? I don't know what it means, to be honest with you. And it wasn't too long ago that I was just like, you know, singing in the house. And I don't even know why I did that, but I just yelled, I love life. And from the upstairs, what's life? 
Life means you're breathing. What's breathing? Breathing means you're living. What's living? I don't know what it means. And I figured out that in life, we actually don't have it all figured out, right? I mean, there was a point where I thought, man, I've got a grasp on this. And then there's always those points in life that you figure out that maybe what you thought was going to happen didn't. If you ever have a chance to read, especially what we're going to read today, you find out that one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter. Now, don't get me wrong. Let's be spiritual. Jesus is my favorite character in the Bible, my favorite person, okay? Peter is the guy we all relate to, and here's why. He made mistakes. He's the guy that when you say, I'm going to talk about Peter's life, we're like, yeah, okay, that's the guy that denied Jesus three times. That's the guy that cut that guy's ear off. Okay, we relate to him, and it's interesting because if you do a little study and just a little reading on uh, Peter's life, it's kind of overwhelming. It kind of lets us relate a little bit more. In other words, Peter grew up a Jewish boy, and what you'll find out if you do studies of Jewish boys, most Jewish boys when they grew up desired to do one thing in life. There was one common goal. They all wanted to be rabbis. They wanted to be teachers of the law. And so they would go to rabbinical school, and it's interesting because the way what happened is they would start studying the Bible, the, the Old Testament, and, and what would happen is by the time they were nine, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. By the time they were 14, they had the entire Old Testament memorized. And what would happen is they would come to a place of graduation. There's only a few rabbis who were going to take apprentices, or let's call them interns, and they would walk in to this huge group of people like this, and let's just say there's like 10 of us that would walk up and say, you know what, uh, I'm going to choose you because you memorize scripture quicker than everybody else. You're, you're, you're my intern. So I, I'm going to choose you because I like how you quote scripture. You're my intern. And it would go down, I choose you, I choose you, and I choose you. And now for the rest of you, go get a job. You didn't make the cut. And that's usually what would happen. Those guys would go out. They didn't make what they wanted to do, and they would find something. And Jesus became a fisherman, right? I mean, Peter became a fisherman. There was a point to where Jesus came to him on the shore and he says to Peter, hey, Peter, do me a favor, throw down your nets, stop being a fisher of fish, and now I want you to be a fisher of men. And the Bible says this, it says Peter immediately threw his nets down and he followed Jesus. I'll be honest, that's always bothered me. All throughout scripture, you see people immediately following Jesus. And I'm the guy that at least, let me think about it for a day, right? I mean, let me just consider it for a little bit. And I started to think about Peter's life, and you got to consider it like this. There was probably a point when Peter was young that he wanted to be a teacher, and he wanted to be an intern and be a teacher of the law. And there was a point to where a bunch of men stood up and said this, hey, you know what? You didn't make the cut. You're not good enough. Go get a job. And all of a sudden in his adult life, he's a commercial fisherman. He's trying to catch fish. And Jesus, by the way, the greatest teacher of the law of all time, walks up to him and says, hey, do me a favor, throw down your nets, stop being a fisher of fish. I want you to be a fisher of men. Could you imagine what happened in Peter's mind at one moment? At one point in his life, he was told he's not good enough. And Jesus just walked up and said, uh, I say you are good enough. He immediately threw his nets down. Now you get it. He followed Jesus with a passion. Now you get it. Don't get me wrong. He made mistakes. He denied Jesus three times. He did do some things wrong, but in the end, he followed Jesus with a passion so much to where his teacher, mentor, pastor dies in front of his face. And Peter's trying to figure out, what do I do now? I mean, I've given my life to follow this man named Jesus, and I need to know what to do. And he goes out and starts to fish again. And that's kind of where we pick up this story, and I want to just read this story to you. It's interesting, but he says it like this, starting in verse 4, verse 21. Just, just let me read it to you if you don't have it in front of you. It says, early in the morning, 
Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment on around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now let's just stop there for a second. Anytime you see the number, like a number, like 153, you got to stop, right? It's not like the number six, which is a bad number. It's not number seven, which is the perfect number. But we were taught in seminary, when you see numbers like that, you got to stop and think about it. It says it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And we're going to get into it later on. But when I was in seminary, it was interesting because we studied for three weeks what the number 153 represented. Kind of like the revelation thing, right? All those numbers. And we were like, is it 153 more days before Jesus comes back? 153 more visions that people will have before Jesus comes to take us home? And we went through every scenario possible to where we finally figured out three weeks later that the number 153 like, represented the number of fish that was in the net. Like, that's it. <laughs> And I know that sounds real simple to you, but we had to get to a certain place. But here, here's what we found out. More than likely, we got that number. Why? Because Peter counted them. Peter is a commercial fisherman. You can imagine him going, hey, guys, you don't understand. There's 153 fish in here. This is not normal. And so he continues on with the story. And it says, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to him, did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus has appeared to disciples and he raised from the dead. When he had finished eating, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, interesting, follow me. Hey, listen, it's a huge chunk of scripture, but let me say it to you like this. I believe that if you read that in its entirety and you just get the whole story, here's what you find out. Peter went on a progression in these verses that if any one of us in this room are going to have life change, we have to go on the same progression. I'm not talking about just his life, but I'm talking about in these verses. Because you see a guy go from not recognizing Jesus at all to understanding who he is and not even daring asking him who he is to the point to where Jesus says, now that you get it, are you ready to follow me? It's an unbelievable progression. And if you and I are gonna be the people God wants us to be for salvation, having life change, for depth, for godliness, we're all gonna have to go on this same progression. And if you start to see it, it's very simple. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down just a few thoughts. If not, will you consider it like this? If you and I are going to leave this place this morning and say, hey, we want life change. I mean, I truly want to be everything that God wants me to be. And I want to live the life that God has for me. Number one, you need to recognize Jesus. 
I mean, you need to recognize him. You need to know who he is. I mean, recognize in verse four, they were standing on the shore and did not recognize who Jesus was. They didn't even know. Remember, Jesus was dead at this point. He was making an appearance back and they didn't understand. But when you find out that they recognize Jesus, you see it in a couple of ways. To recognize Jesus means you recognize him because when Jesus moved, he moves in power every time he shows up. You know that, right? See, we get it in a certain way. There's two ways. He also comes in purity. It said none of them dared ask who it was for they knew it was the Lord. A lot of times I'll go to churches and we'll do revivals or one day events, whatever it may be. And let's just say something huge happens and like they have 200 people come to the Lord that day. What happens is people always go up and say, hey, pastor, oh, that was great, man. Hey, can I ask you, was that the Lord? Here's the deal. If you have to question if it was God moving, probably was not. Because I'm gonna tell you something right now. When Jesus moves, you know it's him. It says the sheep always know the shepherd's voice. But you recognize Jesus more than anything, and we see it in verse 11, because when he moves, he moves in power. That's the key to seeing him. You remember, that's what we said. They were towing the net large, full of fish. There has 153 fish in it, but even with so many, the net was not torn. What's the connotation there? The net was supposed to be torn, right? There were so many fish in the net The net, if they could have directions on a box back then, would have said, can only hold 100 fish. But right here it says, but even with so many, the net was not torn. So the point of that whole little verse is, the net was supposed to be torn. So the big question this morning, if we're gonna get really deep is, well, then how did the net stay together? If the net was supposed to be torn and it wasn't torn, how in the world did the net stay together? And here's my answer to you, because Jesus is really good at holding nets together. Like seriously, I think sometimes that we've forgotten that little stories like this just allow us to recognize the depth of life. I'll say this to you. If Jesus has enough power to hold a net together when it's supposed to be torn, hey adults, listen, means he has enough power to hold your marriage together as well. If he has enough power to hold the nets together when it's supposed to be torn, it means he really can get you through addiction. He has that much power. It means for the students in this room, he has enough power to allow you to honor your mom and dad, whether you understand them or not. You start to realize that when Jesus moves, he moves in power. And here's the deal. If you read in Ephesians, it says he can do even more than we can think about or pray about. See, that's when you start to see Jesus is huge, but you've got to recognize him. A lot of times it slips past this. I'll say it to you like this. Um, Like Sean, I run. That was one of the connections that we had. I run marathons. I've run 19 marathons throughout the years. And uh, it was interesting for me because after I ran six or seven in Birmingham, there's a lot of people that got to know I was running marathons. And I got a call from the Birmingham, Alabama mayor's office. And they said this, we have a sister to sister, you know, relationship with a place in my Bashi, Japan, town of 400,000 people. We need to send some people over to run their marathon. We want you to go and be the head of the team. And I go, can't do it. They go, why? Well, because I I can't leave. I'm going 200 days a year for my family. I can't leave my family for a week just to run a marathon. But thank you so much, and we appreciate it. They said, no, 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 we need you to be on this team. I go, why? They said, "Um, because we read your, like, biographical information on your website, and we see that you're a professional speaker, and there's a point to where there's going to be 100 Japanese government officials, and you're not just going to run the marathon. You need to get up and say welcome from Birmingham, Alabama, and have a speech. And I go, you read my biographical information incorrectly. I go, I'm not a professional speaker. I'm a minister of the gospel of Christ and I'm not even good at that most of the time. I just do the best I can. And they go, no, no, no. We just need you to say welcome for Birmingham. We don't care what you say in the end, 
but can you just say, welcome from Birmingham? And I was like, no, no, I can't do it. They called back a week later. They said, when you do decide to go, they were pretty confident. They said, what we need you to do is we need you to take a hundred gifts for these men. And I went, well, see, now I'm out. If it costs me money, I'm not going. I go, why do you want me to buy them gifts? They go, well, these men are going to give you a gift. You've got to get them a gift. And I go, what am I supposed to give these men? I've never been to Japan. Come on now. And they go, I think, we think you're missing the point. Um, we don't care what you give them. Just give them something. And all of a sudden it hit me. And I thought, let me push the envelope as far as I can here. I go, let me, let me tell you something. I said, you read my biographical information. I'm a minister of gospel of Christ. He goes, yeah. I go, you do recognize that if I do a speech, it's about Christ. They go, yeah. You do recognize these men are Buddhist. They go, Sure. Just say something like welcome from Birmingham at some point in your speech. And I go, okay, they're not understanding and I'm trying to save them from themselves. So I finally go, okay, then I can say what I want to say. And they go, yeah. So the little gifts, can I give them really whatever I want? They go, yeah. So my ministry does this and Sean will take this, but, and, and a lot of the students have these, but we, we do these things called the journey CDs. I go through books of the Bible. I've met way too many people that say, you know what? I read the Bible. It's 200 years, 2000 years old and I just don't get it. You don't live the Christian life apart from the word of God. So I started doing these things. We got six books of the Bible where they just, we read the scripture, explain it to you and tell you how to apply it to your life. So when you get done with that book of the Bible, you go, wow, I know that book. You can't live what you don't know. So I thought, let's push this a little bit. I go, can I give them books of the Bible on CD? And the guy goes, dude, we don't care what you give them. And I thought, this could be interesting, right? So I went to my wife and I go, I think I need to go on this trip. She goes, why? I said, well, this is like a real mission trip. Like, they're not asking me to go build a church for church. This is like, this is like me going over there, like lost people. Let's see what happens. She goes, okay. We didn't know what to pray. This was our prayer. God, could you do something huge? That's all we need to pray. Get over there, ran the marathon. Went well. About a day later, they came and said, hey, we're going to do this big, like, little thing, and you can come and speak. And I was ready, man. I was ready to preach. You don't understand. I thought, this is it, man. We're going to see, you know, all the Buddhists in the world come to Jesus. I got up. And here's the deal, and I'm being honest with you, this is the like, story of my life, how it goes. I don't know what happened, because I'm speaking English to Japanese people, and I'm not even kidding, this like, you're going to think I'm joking, through an Italian translator. <laughs> All I see is a bunch of men doing this right here, nothing happens in the end, and I thought, I don't even know what happened. Finally, we're like sitting around talking, and this man goes, hey, normally tonight, instead of this doing this government official thing, he goes, I'm usually teaching an English-speaking class. I'm helping my daughter do it. Can, can you help us, you and your team? I was like, man, we're, we're halfway across the world. Let's go do it. We go downtown there in Mabashi, walk in, and this lady, Japanese lady, is speaking English. I mean, no, no accent whatsoever. It's perfect. And I interrupted her in the class, and I went, well, hey, real quick, are you from America or are you from Japan? She goes, I'm from Mabashi. But I went to university in America, and I went, really? I mean, I mean, where, where did you go? She goes, well, I lived in a city you've never heard of it. I went, give me a shot. We never, ever give God credit for doing something 20 years ahead of time to prepare. I go, give me a shot. Where did you live? She goes, I live in this tiny town called Price, Utah. I went, I've been there. She goes, really? I said, I, I, I like ran both red lights. Did not even know they were there. We started laughing because here, here's what's weird. When I was in college, I was roommates with this like singer guy. Most of you don't know him. His name's Charles Billingsley. His dad was the executive director of the Utah-Idaho Convention. And the only time I've ever spoken in like Utah, I spoke at First Baptist Price, Utah, 20 years before. 
she pulls aside. We start talking. We're like connecting. And I was like, this is awesome. I go, let me ask you a question. So are you a Christian? She goes, no, 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 I'm Mormon. And I went, huh. I'm saying, it's not going well for me here. So I finally, just out of desperation, I went, hey, listen, I know this sounds tough. You're married? She goes, yeah. My ministry does these things called the Journey Bible. Do you want these things? She goes, we'd love them. My gift to you and your husband. She goes, okay. Just so you know, that was my trip. Came back. My wife goes, how did it go? I went, eh. I mean, I want to see stuff happen, man. And I was as underwhelmed because y'all were waiting for a big punchline, right? You were thinking, man, this, whoa, Buddhism's gone. (laughs) That's all I got. And for a week, I was sitting there going, I mean, why in the world did not? Until I got an email. And this is the email I got from this lady. She says, Wade, weirdly enough, my husband and I went through the journey of Bible study CDs and we loved them. And we had an idea. Since we're the only ones who are teaching people English in Mabashi, we've decided that everybody that wants to come through our like English speaking class has to go learn English through the journey Bible studies. They have to listen to a sentence, write it down in Japanese, listen to a sentence and write it down in English. And that's how they are going to learn how to speak English. And all of a sudden it hit me. I just got a Mormon to require Buddhists to learn the Bible. <laughs> Listen, think about that for a second. Now, that's an amazing story. To this day, it's still going on. But here's what I'm trying to tell you, just so you don't think I'm patting myself on the back. I had no idea that was going to happen. If I could have predicted that, dude, I would have come here and said, I need all y'all to buy journey CDs because we're going to win everybody to Jesus in Japan. Do you know what I knew to do? Pray one prayer. God, could you do something huge? And he did. When you and I recognize Jesus, you get the mentality out of your mind of saying, my mom would never be saved. My daughter is never going to be saved. You recognize God can do it. But not only do you have to recognize Jesus, he goes a little bit further and says, then you got to learn to love him as well. This is where it gets fun, right? See, this is where those three verses kick in, really three and a half, where Jesus goes to Peter and they have like a conversation. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, for those of you in the room uh, that have not been uh, Christians very long, and really for that matter, if you've been Christian for a long time, let's just talk about this for a second. Because it sounds like Jesus can't hear. Because when you read it in English, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. But Peter, do you love me? Yes. You're thinking, what in the world's going on? In Greek, which is what the New Testament's written in, and there's more to it than what I'm going to tell you, but I know you've heard Sean say stuff like this. There's a word called phileo. It's friendship love. It's how we love each other. There's a word called agape. It's like perfect love. It's God's love to us. If you were to read this and translate it from the Greek, this is more likely how it would go. Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter's response was, yes, I phileo you. If you put in our language, this is what happens. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response was, I like you a whole bunch, Jesus. Now you get why he says, no, 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 no. Let me ask it again. Do you agape me? Didn't I just tell you how much I phileo you? That's what happened. And so he goes, no, 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 no. For the third time. Do you love me? You see, there's always a point where Jesus pursues us so hard that he gets past the surface of the conversation, right? 
The good thing is I love that Jesus loves Peter enough and loves you and me enough to push us and say, no, 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 no. Let's get somewhere in this. Because church, let me say this to you. It's one thing to say you love Jesus. It's another thing to actually love him. It's one thing to claim you love Jesus, but you find out in scripture, the way you prove you love Jesus is not by what you say, it's by how you live, right? It's why I tell people all the time, Jesus didn't die on a cross so you would go to church. He died on a cross so you would be the church. So it's when you understand that, that you realize the progression is, I recognize Jesus and he can change me and he has. Now you got to get to the point that you love him. And let me say this, let's go further. You need to be in love with him. That's the purpose of this. See, I think sometimes it's hard for us to recognize that the idea of loving Jesus is really deep. It's a relationship thing. But so many times when we talk about loving Jesus, it's always like, a, okay, if you love Jesus, you come to South Crest on Sunday mornings. Like, if you kind of really go a little bit deeper and love him more, you like volunteer, maybe with the students or something. But if you're really in love with him, you do a mission trip once a year. That's kind of how we define our love. Let me say this to you. All that stuff is true, but it's got to be more than that. I say to you like this, if you go to Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, whatever your bookstores are here, if you go to the love section, you will see there's like a whole section on how to keep the love going. There's not one book on how to fall in love. Have you ever noticed that? Falling in love just happens. You can't define it. You can't control it. It just happens. But there's a lot of books on how to keep the love going. The purpose of what church is, is to teach you how to keep your passion going for Jesus. But I think sometimes we forget that. In other words, uh, I say it like this. um, I remember the day I got married, my wife. If you could have done like, um, let's say spiritual time travel. If you could have come to me that day, the day I was like gonna get married, right before I got married, if you just said, hey, wait, this sounds crazy, but like 20 years from now, you're gonna be at Southcrest Church in Noonan. And listen, it's gonna sound nuts. You're gonna love your wife more then than you do right now. I'd have looked at you and said, you were out of your mind. I've got no more room to love my wife at all right now. But it's weird. All the ups we've had, the downs we've had, the struggles we've had. I love my wife more today than I did then. You don't think you can do it, but you do it. That's called being in love. But sometimes we just don't, we kind of just don't really get it. I'll say to you like this. Um, I had an intern of mine named Chris Carnell. Good dude. Real passionate and stuff. And I remember I introduced him on the road to his wife, Lindy. Now his wife. And I remember him calling me about a year into the relationship. And I was about to leave to come, you know, get on a plane and stuff and go speak somewhere. And I, and I saw the caller ID, Chris. And I picked it up. I, know, I heard he gotten engaged. And I was like, man, this is cool. I'll just get on the phone, congratulate him. And I said, hey, man. How you doing? He goes, fine. Where are you going? I said, man, I got to go catch a plane. Got to go preach somewhere in you know, Florida. And he goes, hey, Lindy and I got engaged. And I went, man, I heard that. Congratulations. He goes, do you have five minutes? And I go, actually, I don't. But what do you need? He goes, well, I want to tell you our engagement story. I said, just so you know, I'm not a woman. Which means I really don't care about your engagement story. I'm just being honest with you. A lot of women love to hear that. That's y'all's thing, right? So I'm just like, dude, I don't want to hear it. And, he, and I said, but what? He goes, well, you really need to hear my engagement story. And I go, why do I need to hear your engagement story? And here's what he said to me. Because my engagement story is the greatest engagement story you're ever going to hear. Now, I am a man, which means my engagement story is the best engagement story anybody would ever hear. So I made a deal with him, and here's what I said. Okay, you start talking, and if I ever get bored in your story, I'm going to hang up on you. He took the deal. Now, I'm going to tell you the end of the story right now. 
He's got the greatest engagement story I've ever heard in my life. He starts talking. They live in Fort Lauderdale from a church down there. There's a man in the church that has a business up in New York City. They had worked it out with all the parents. And he ended up calling Lindy's parents. They had packed her a bag. He picks her up at four in the morning. They put a blindfold on her. He gets a bag and says, we're going to the airport. We're going to go somewhere really cool. He takes her to the Fort Lauderdale airport, blindfolded, by the way. Got on a plane, blindfolded. They fly for two and a half hours, blindfolded. He made her stay that way. He's thorough. They get off the plane in Manhattan, blindfolded. They get in a taxi cab. She's blindfolded. They get out on Fifth Avenue. He takes the blindfold off. She sees she's in New York City. He says, listen, we're going to go out to eat somewhere tonight. It's going to be very special. He pulls out a credit card and says, go somewhere and buy you the best dress that you could ever buy. Now, for most of you women right there, you went, I do. Like, that's it. You're done. I mean, we don't even need to do the dinner at that point, right? That's the right man for you. She does that. The dinner, Rainbow Room, top of NBC Towers, 12-piece orchestra band. Middle of their set, they started to play Amazing Grace. She was like, oh, Chris, this is my favorite song. She, she's real sheltered. She's like, I didn't know there were Christians in New York. This, you know, <laughs> she had no idea that this was real for, you know, he'd planned the whole thing. They said, there's this guy named Chris. He wants to say something. He gets up there, gets on his knees, and he says, Lindy, will you please marry me? She says, yes. All of a sudden, he stands up, takes her over to the elevator after putting the ring on her finger. They go down 54 stories, and they walk out. He has a horse and carriage waiting on him outside. So you women like this, right? <laughs> Horse and carriage ride going around, you know, Central Park. He had all her friends and family write notes, prayers for their marriage. She's reading them and crying. They get all the way around to the tavern on the green and they get over there and they stop and they walk in. He flew both parents up, both sets of parents up to celebrate. They had dessert together. It was great. Next day, Central Park, they do like a little lunch. They go to the Yankee game, seventh inning stretch. Congratulations, Chris and Lindy. I said, bro, let me just, let me just say it for all men. You're the man. Like, dude, you're just the man. The problem is you're hearing that. Half of you women are hitting your husband. We got engaged at Sonic. Listen. So for those of you who got engaged at Sonic, I'm about to help you men out because there's one thing the men in here know for all these young guys that think they're gonna overtake us, right? We got like a men's fraternity, right? Here's what it is. We know how to pace ourselves, correct? I mean, so I thought, I gotta ask him this. I said, hey, Chris, I want you to know that's the greatest engagement story I've ever heard in my life. He said, thank you so much. I said, here's my question to you. What are you gonna do in your marriage to top that? He goes, what? I said, you gotta learn to pace yourself as a man. You don't like show all your cards. He goes, what do you mean? I said, your marriage is downhill forever. I said, just stop. And at that point, there was like 30 seconds of silence and I felt vindicated. I mean, I thought, don't, don't mess with the married men here. We know what we're doing. And then out of nowhere, he started to kind of stutter. He's not even a stutterer. And he goes, well, I, 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 I didn't even think about that. And I remember him saying it and it really captured my heart. He said, wait, all I can tell you is I just wanted to have the greatest engagement story for Lindy. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my marriage to top that. But it will be the joy of my life to try to top it because I'm so in love with her. Listen, when I heard him say that, I thought, it's amazing how far we go to prove our love for each other. But when it comes to our love proving for Jesus, this is it. I'll get to church early today. I just think it has to be more than that. 
I just think there's a point where we go from loving him to being in love with him and you find out it's a relationship that you want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. You recognize Jesus. He moves in power. You love him, but you want to be in love with him. And the last thing is you follow him no matter what. Verses 18 and 19, just quickly because we've got to hurry, are to me the most morbid verses in all the Bible. He says it like this. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will address you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Listen, he went to Peter and predicted his death. I mean, he says to Peter, I know you're wanting to follow me. So I'm going to give an invitation right now. I know you all give invitations here. Give an invitation for people to come to Christ. And a lot of times we do it. I do it. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Jesus, Jesus did this. Here's what he said to Peter. Heads up, eyes open. I'm going to take the whole story up front. He said, Peter, if you want to follow me, you're going to die the worst death you could ever imagine. He said, you're young. You go where you want. You do what you want. One day you're going to be old. And if you follow me, you're going to go down a road that you don't want to go. In case you don't know it, Peter was crucified upside down. That was Jesus's way of saying, hey, Peter, trust me on this one. This is going to hurt worse than you think. You need to think about this one. And after he tells him the whole story, now that you know that, if you want to follow me, follow me. I think so many times when we come to the place of truly wanting to be a Christ follower, we realize that, hey man, it's great. Everybody in here is going to clap for me. It's going to be good. And then you go out into the real world and people look at you like you're crazy. You need to realize that following Jesus is not the easiest thing in the world. The Bible says you will be a light in a dark world. It says you will not be of this world. It means in the end, the world will not like what you stand for. But the calling of Jesus and the understanding of the discipleship of Jesus is not whether you're willing to follow him when times are easy. It's whether you're willing to follow him when times are really, really tough. That's the true test. And he's saying to Peter and he's saying to me, if you're willing to go down this road, great things can happen, but it's up to you. The interesting thing about this, and I probably won't have time to do this in the next session or the 11 o'clock service, if you read the rest of the scripture, you don't really know if Peter followed him. All it says is that Jesus was walking away and he turned around and he saw Peter walking his way. Do you know how we actually know that Peter followed him? Because about 20 years later, we have these books called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And you start to realize that Peter was in it until the end. You see, when you follow Jesus, it's not about how you start it's about how you finish because you realize that when you give him your life, you give him your life and you can trust him with it. And that is my hope that happens this morning. Just bow with me just for one second. And as my brother comes out just to play behind me, just, just for a second, my question to you as simply as I can ask it is where do you stand with Jesus? And I mean that really because I know on the Noonan campus at the LaGrange campus, there are people in this room that are coming to get deeper in their walk with God. There are some of you that are still questioning things. So I just need you to trust me. And here's how I want to do it. If you could just look at me, just look at me real fast. Everybody just look at me real fast. And I know it's kind of early and it's tired. Let me say this to you. 
Sean knows me. I'm not going to manipulate you to do anything you don't want to do. I just want you to be honest with me in the next few minutes. Um, I'm that guy that tries to just shoot straight with you, you shoot straight with me, and I believe that in the end, God can do huge things. The last thing I want is for somebody to pray a prayer that you don't mean and you walk out of here and do nothing with your life. Last thing we need is manipulation. I want to give you a chance to follow Jesus, say yes. If you want to say no, then say no. It's your call. But I believe that today, biblically, those who say yes to Jesus, your life will never be the same. And that is my hope. So just trust me. Do this with me. Your head's bowed. Let me just ask this with nobody looking around. How many of you would say this? Wait, I'm sitting here right now, and either I know for a fact that I have never, ever followed Christ in salvation, or you would say this. Hey, wait, I'm sitting here, and I'm just being honest. Man, I'm not sure. I'm just not positive that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. If that's you, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just trying to say to you, in the end, the most important thing is your relationship with Jesus. So no one, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. If you're in this place, man, I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. Wait, I'm just being honest with you. If that's you, don't stand, don't raise your hand. Can you just open your eyes and look at me just for a second? Look straight at me. Don't look to the left and right. You're not alone. Let me just say it to you like this. I'd give anything in the world to come and say, please, would you do this? At some point, scripture has to come true. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him to the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. That means at some point you've got to say, I'm willing to pray this and mean this and give your life to Jesus. So I want to give you a chance to do that right here, right now, and just see what happens. So for those of you who are looking at me, let's just, let's just, let's just do this. Just bag your heads right where you are, nobody looking around. Just right where you are. Just in your own heart, your own spirit, say, God, I thank you for who you are. I recognize Jesus Christ as your son. I admit to you I'm a sinner. God, I've messed up. Please forgive me of my sin. Please save my soul and give me the chance to live for you. And God, I promise right now with your salvation, with your strength, I will do the best I can to live this life. If you prayed that and you meant it, the Bible says you can know that you're saved. If you did that, can you just raise your hand? Just put it up and down, just quickly, just up and down. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in this room. That's awesome. I know Sean's going to give you a little bit more direction in here on what to do and how to just follow through with that. But my follow through with you is to say, please make sure you let somebody know what God has done and how he will do it and follow through and let people know that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The Bible says, if you confess him before the father and before men, he confesses you before the father. If you don't confess him, he doesn't confess you. Don't be ashamed of what God has done and what God will do. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Southcrest Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.